Welcome to today's Church Central podcast. We're a family of churches across Birmingham. To find out more, head to churchcentral.org.uk. Church Central North, it is a pleasure, as always, to be with you. And a particular pleasure today is, um, I wasn't here that long ago, I think it was just before Christmas, uh, coming and speaking here. Me and, my, uh, me and my family, we were part of Church Central North for a year or two, a few years back. Um, and uh, we, yeah, we, we'd, uh, we'd love this community here. But what's so great today is I'm looking around here and I've, I've chatted to a few people by scan. And I, I see about half the people here are, you're new here <laughs> since I last came. So it's really, it's really funny to come and say, oh, welcome. And I am a guest speaker coming in. And I really, uh, really great work. Just to say, if you're new, if you've made this church your home recently, uh, good decision. This is a great church. <laughs> this is a great bunch of people who um, yeah, I'm, I'm very affectionate towards in, uh, in my heart and my prayers. And generally, when I see you guys, so um, good choice. If you're looking into the church here, again, I'd say you've come to the right place. It's a great community of, of people. Uh, if I'm, I know you from way back, uh, great to see you again as well. And um, well done as well. My esteem for you grows and grows uh, because I've heard what you're preaching on, because I'm preaching on it as well today. Um, and you've been preaching, uh, the preaching series the last few weeks has been looking at the most interesting topic in the whole world, which is well done, which is God. <laughs> now, even those who aren't Christians would recognise this. Um, the greatest minds in history uh, would have, have pondered and treasured the idea of God, the philosophers and the thinkers. And when you think about the most interesting things the world has to offer, usually you end up here. And when you start here, you end up with all the other most interesting things the world has to offer. Um, so good, good choice on that. Um, but we know as Christians, don't we, that we don't just think about God. We don't just ponder. God is not just a puzzle to keep our uh, intellect sharp. No, uh, God is uh, someone we know. It's amazing. It just trips off the tongue. As Christians, we know God. Just think about that for a moment. There's a phrase, you know God. You have a relationship with God. Those of you who are Christians here, who have been to church for any length of time, that wouldn't be new to you. That wouldn't be a new sentence. But just think about that for a second. We know God. So the word we use of a friend, Jesus talked about us as his, as his friends. The language that we have, God, God gives us to understand him. God as father, you looked at two weeks ago. Uh, the son being our older brother, this family uh, family links. We know God like that. That is amazing. That's an amazing thing. And actually, uh, I'm going to be talking today about God the Holy Spirit. And uh, um, Laurie sets up brilliantly, and we've been singing the songs that will be coming out, some of the contributions from the floor, the prayers from the floor. We've been hearing a lot about this uh, already. Uh, but the Holy Spirit is the one who stops it just being us down here, still admiring God from afar. The Holy Spirit is the one who brings God's activity down into our lives today. And so when we talk, we were singing before about heaven come down, heaven come down to earth. What does that mean for us today? How could that happen today? Because you see, if God was just a father, we could stand here and admire him from afar. He's in heaven. The gulf is huge. We go, wow, God's amazing. Look at all these attributes he has, all these things he thinks and, and, and all of those things. But there would be this massive gulf between us. We could admire him from afar. We could worship him. But little more. Actually, even if God was just the Father and the Son, we could look back in history and think, look at all those amazing things Jesus did when he was on earth, when he walked with people. Wouldn't it have been brilliant to be a disciple and to hear Jesus' actual voice and to have him hug you and have him uh, pray for you and all that? But as we know, Jesus died. He rose again, yes. 
And then he ascended to heaven. So he's in heaven too. And the gulf is just there. We could remember. And we could even live in the good of what he did. We're forgiven by Jesus' death on the cross. And that could do us some psychological good in our lives as we go through. But what about now? What about when we need heaven now with us? Well, that's the Holy Spirit. That's the activity of the Holy Spirit. And my job is to unpack this and like kind of pull some strands together that we've, we've already seen, really, about the work of the Spirit. I'm gonna, I want to introduce you to the Spirit, uh, who he is, to be a reintroduction for many of us, and also at what he does uh, as well. And so before I go any further, it would be silly to talk about the Spirit, just talk about him. Uh, I just want to encourage you right now, where you are, just uh, sit, in, sit in there, just uh, focus on Jesus, focus on the Father through his Spirit. Um, just talk to him now. Some of you would have been doing this a lot. Some of you, I know, with your, with your kids here. Well done, parents. Coming to church on a Sunday morning is different when you've got young kids. You've got responsibility for your kids, and you guys do this fantastically. But right now, they're out in kids' work. Now, just focus in on the Holy Spirit. Lord, we talked about welcoming, giving invitation to come in. But just, just re-engage. What do you want from the Spirit today? What do you want from God today? What do you need from God today? Tell him. How could you do with God's help? Heaven coming down into your situation right now. What does it look like for you? Tell him. Because he's right here through his spirit. We're not shouting across a void. He's right here. Holy Spirit, we believe what the Bible tells us about the fact that you bring the presence of the Father to us. Jesus, we believed you when you said that it was better that you went away from your disciples so that you could send another counsellor to us, the Spirit. And Holy Spirit, we love you. And Holy Spirit, I ask you that you would do even more amongst us than what we want you to do. Lord, I trust you, Holy Spirit, and I know that you're good. Bring the Father's good gifts into our lives today, Lord, I pray. Amen. Right, so when we look at who someone is, often it's good to look at what they do. So I'd like to kind of look at the Spirit's CV you like, from the, from the beginning of time up until about now. Let's try that, shall we? We've got, they usually spend an hour to preach nowadays at the I think Chris said the more people there were, you just added an extra 10 minute on for each person, so we've got most of the day. Um, so I'm going to start at the beginning. Genesis 1, 1, 2, that's a joke of the way, it's about 20 minutes, you know. Okay. Um, Genesis 1, 1 to 2 says this, see if you can spot the entrance of the Spirit. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty, darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit was hovering over the waters, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, there. The Spirit is the agent of creation. The Spirit at the very creation of the world is the one making things happen on the ground. And right from the start of the Bible, what you get this picture of is God the Father is the brains of the operation of creation, and the Spirit carries out God's will on the ground. The Father, he wants to bring order to this world that is uh, formless. He wants to fill the world with life and the Spirit saying, got it, Father, got it. I'll do that on the ground, hovering over the waters ready to make it happen. He's God's agent of activity on planet Earth. The Spirit isn't just good at working with natural uh, things, the creative things like that. He also is pretty handy with people as well. And we see that in the Old Testament over and over again. And uh, what happens in the Old Testament is we read of the Spirit impacting a whole load of people. And when the Spirit gets involved in someone's life, that person tends to become a hero of the Old Testament. 
And so the real heavy hitters, if you could think, well, who are the heavy hitters in the Old Testament? You know what? The Spirit's probably involved somewhere. So Moses, Joshua, Gideon, David, Isaiah, Ezekiel, we're told of all of those individuals that the Holy Spirit interacts with them powerfully to commission them, to give them wisdom, to help them hear God's voice more clearly, sometimes to lead God's people. And the Spirit does that. You've got these other kind of more niche characters as well. You've got this guy called Bezalel in Exodus. And it says the Spirit filled Bezalel with artistic skills to build the tabernacle. Another, another uh, arrow in the spirit's quiver, another thing that he can do. And you've got this strange story, Good, uh, I'm sure at some point the kids in um, Sunday school will get the story of Samson, that we all know, it's slightly different. Samson is, uh, receives the spirit and it gives him physical strength. Even with a, a, a baddie in the Old Testament, someone like Saul, King Saul, who was not a good king, there are times when it says that the spirit came on Saul and he prophesied. I mean, he heard God's voice more clearly and he spoke that out to others. And so if you were kind of living towards the end of the Old Testament times and you were reading uh, these stories, I think you'd be thinking, wow, this Holy Spirit's a big deal. Wherever he turns up, whenever he lands on someone's head, amazing things happen. It's not, just to be clear with this illustration, it's not exactly the same as what I'm about to say. It would be like you're reading comics, you think, wow, getting bitten by a radioactive spider, that'd be pretty amazing. If I get gamma rays, it'd turn green and smash stuff up. Wow, like, a different thing, obviously this stuff really happened, but, but the similarity would be, as someone with a comic book, you think, but it would never happen to me. Because actually, the spirit in the Old Testament, while he really interacted with real people and helping them to do real things, he only really did that in a very restricted capacity. The Holy Spirit in the Old Testament, you notice, comes on certain individuals at certain times for certain tasks. But most Jews would have known nothing of the Spirit's direct involvement in their life in that way. Yeah, Moses, yeah, Gideon, yeah, Samson. But the others would be, wow, that's amazing for them, but that's never going to happen to me. That's a very, very select thing for like the superheroes of faith. But as the Old Testament draws to a close, God promises to do a new thing. It's a short little verse, but it's an amazing verse in Joel 2, 28. The prophet Joel says, Then, after doing all those things, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Wow! Not just Gideon, and not just Ezekiel. All people. So again, can I imagine the excitement? You're saying, ah, oh, I could be like Moses. I could be like Joshua, I could be like David, like Gideon. I could know the Spirit of God helping me and changing me and empowering me like those people, my heroes. And I'm sure there was major excitement at the words of Joel. But actually, those who would have got excited at that time, I'm sure they might well have felt a little bit disappointed for a while because years went by, decades went by, centuries went by. And actually, it seemed like the Holy Spirit's work was more petering out. Where's the Spirit nowadays? It seems there's less Moseses around. There's less Gideons around. There's less Samsons and Bezalels around. Until suddenly, hundreds of years later, all around one thing and one uh, event, the Holy Spirit suddenly is everywhere again. Any guesses at what that event is? It's to do with the last person of the Trinity <laughs> that we had. This is my clue. I heard a voice. 
I bet, well, you know what, you're ahead of the game. Uh, I'll come back to Pentecost in a minute. Well, before that, it's the birth of Jesus. When we see the beginning of the gospel, suddenly you've got Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit uh, feels almost, is connected with almost everybody in the Christmas story. If you read the beginning of the gospels, you've got uh, the Holy Spirit feels Mary, Jesus' mum, Jesus' aunt Elizabeth, Jesus' uncle Zechariah, Jesus' cousin John the Baptist, even the old guy at the temple who meets Jesus when he's being presented at the temple, Simeon, he's on everybody all of a sudden. And of course when Jesus comes along, the Spirit is all over him too. And so uh, Jesus, Jesus lived his, the beginning of his life in relative obscurity. Uh, and then he, he comes onto the scene. He's baptised by his cousin, John the Baptist, um, who had the Holy Spirit filled him in, in the womb, says John the Baptist. And as Jesus is baptised, uh, it says the Holy Spirit descends on him in bodily form like a dove onto Jesus' head. Amazing, amazing thing. And from that point, immediately, Luke points out to us in his gospel that the Spirit then leads Jesus. says the Spirit led him. Led him strangely into a time of testing and temptation, extreme testing. How did he survive that period of testing? How did he resist the devil? Well, Luke also tells us in Luke 4.1, not just was he led by the Spirit, but Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit. Not just the Holy Spirit kind of resting on his head and flying off when he gets a bit bored. No, full of the Holy Spirit. And then Jesus uh, defeats the devil's temptations and he leaves the desert and Luke just underlines the point again. Luke 4, 14. Then Jesus returned to Galilee. You'd never guess what. Filled with the Holy Spirit's power. And you think, well, what would that look like then? Well, we all know what that looked like, don't we? It involves healing the sick, raising the dead, freeing people from destructive and evil powers, loving people like no one's ever loved them before, showing incredible justice, showing incredible wisdom. That stuff, the Jesus stuff, he did it full of the Holy Spirit. He did it in the power of the Spirit. As he did all these things, he also made it clear to his followers, to his disciples, uh, that the spirit that filled him was going to be available to them too, very soon. Just as the prophet Joel had said, and this is where, uh, I think it's Sarah. Is it Sarah? Yes. This is where Sarah comes in, who's ahead of the game on Pentecost. Uh, so, and, then, and we see this happen at Pentecost. Jesus dies, Jesus rises again, and he goes back to heaven. But a short time later, uh, this is what happens, Acts 2, 1 to 4. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly, there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them ability. It's quite... It's quite a scene. <laughs> it caused quite a scene as well. Um, mainly because from this situation of whatever happened in this kind of prayer meeting, the disciples did all did something together. They ran out of this, this room they were in into the centre of Jerusalem. Now just be aware of this. Jerusalem, if you remember, is the place where the people had all ganged together to get Jesus crucified. Okay? And they ran to the middle of that, that uh, urban hub and they shouted at everyone, hey everyone! You know Jesus, who you all killed about two weeks ago? We're with him! <laughs> Didn't sound like a great move. But then they said, and by the way as well, we know you killed him, but he'll forgive you as well. You should follow him now. 
Wow, these are guys who'd been just before had been hiding away <laughs> in this little house, trying to keep a low profile because they didn't want to be executed by the authorities. What has changed? The Holy Spirit came upon them. Suddenly they're out in the middle of the, the square, putting their lives on the line. And uh, you know what the incentive was they gave? Yeah, forgiveness from God was on the list, but what was the big incentive they gave in that first sermon in Acts 2? And then you can have the gift of the Holy Spirit too. That's what they offered them. They were so excited by the Spirit. The prophet Joel was right. God's Spirit it was no longer just for certain people at certain times in certain places. From the day of Pentecost, he was poured out on all people. And you know what? For all of you here, that is still the case today. It's available for all of us. So I'm planning really to do today is whet your appetite a little for the Spirit. I use the the word appetite well. We're called to be hungry. I'll use another word like that uh, later. But hungry for the Spirit. To want the Spirit. To desire the Spirit. To recognise our need for the Spirit. But to finish off, I just hope you do that a little bit more. I want to rest on today then. Okay, today, we know that's how the history has gone. We know that's what the Holy Spirit has done in history. That hopefully gives us an impression of his character, of who he's like, of how he works. But what about today? Why would we want the Spirit involved more in our life today? And I've got uh, three P's for you. It's because through the Spirit we know God's presence, we know his power, and we know his pleasure. And just again, I just want to give you each of these things. I just want to whet your appetite for the Spirit. We're not going to have a big ministry time at the end of this. We are going to have a chance to say, for you to say to the Holy Spirit whether you, would, you need him in your life or not. But I don't want that to be all limited for today. That's something we do all the time. We need the Spirit. In fact, in a sense, this time today is the time we need the Holy Spirit least. In our lives. <laughs> Did you know that? In this meeting, you're in a room with people who believe the same things as you, and most of them, I know, well, I know most of you guys are, are pretty nice people. They're not going to stab you in the back immediately or like be cruel to you. Um, but we, we go out, we're called. This is kind of pit stop time right here. We've got, we've got things to do as people of God. We've got people to sacrificially love and lay our life down for who are going to stab us in the back. And who aren't going to appreciate us. Some of us have got home situations where we leave here and it's not the case that everybody is singing from the same hymn sheet as regards Jesus. Some of you go to school next week and you know it's hard already. You're like, I don't want to tell people I'm a Christian. People think I'm weird. You've got people tempting you to do different things that you think, well, that's not going to work. We need the Holy Spirit then. His presence then. I want you just to leave today, not just for today, not just a moment today hungry and thirsty for the Holy Spirit. So come on, let's whet some appetite. Well, he gives us his presence. We've heard about this already, but this is such a Christian word. What does this mean? We, we see from that it's such an important word in the Bible, the presence of God. And we see it right from the start again. God makes clear at the beginning of the Bible that he wants to be with his people. In the Garden of Eden, it says that uh, God was, was walking in the cool of the day in the garden with Adam and Eve. It's such an amazing picture, but the, the picture there is of a kind of at easeness. God is at ease with his people. His people are at ease with him. He's made them in his own image. And his plan was always to be with them, be at their side, to work alongside them, for him, them to work on the things he had for them to do with him right next to them. But the story portrays as we know that we did not value his presence with us. We decided to reject God and actually live our lives on our own. No, go away, God. We don't need you here. Stop looking over my shoulder and everything I'm doing. Go away. We don't want your presence here. 
And so the Bible paints a picture for the rest of the Bible, I guess the rest of history too, of God honouring our decision, tragically, and withdrawing from us. And I think that's why in the Old Testament, God's, the Holy Spirit's activity is so selective. He kind of, he, God so desperately wants to, to bring us back to him again, and he, he kind of pops out the exception. I'll come to them and them and them, but it's, it's limited, it's selective, because actually the rule is now God's withdrawn. In fact, for the people of Israel in the Old Testament, when they thought of God's presence, they didn't necessarily, first and foremost, think of the Holy Spirit. They would have thought, and it's very strange for us to think like this, but this is what they thought. They thought of a building, a geographical location. They saw God's presence as somehow contained in a very mysterious way in a building called the temple. And just to be really clear on this, it's not that they didn't respect God's presence or value God's presence. No, no, they, they really did. And that's partly why they wanted it kept away from them in case trouble broke out. In, in, that, in that temple, there were, you had to be a priest to get near the bit in the temple where God was. You had to wear the right clothes. You had to do the right rituals. You had to wash in the right way just to get close. And actually, there was only one priest the high priest who could go into what was called the Holy of Holies, the inner room where God's presence was seen to be. And even then, people were a bit like, when you, when you go in, they only once a year, and people I think are outside going, is he going to come out? Are we going to see him again? Or is he going to be swallowed up in there? I mean, they valued God's presence. They thought God's presence was very important, but it was restricted to a very small area and to a small number of people. And then you understand that, a detail about what happened at Jesus' crucifixion starts to make a bit of sense. Because Matthew recalls, when Jesus died, in the temple, it says, the curtain was torn from top to bottom. Like that, as Jesus died. What's happening? This is the picture, is God's presence. Imagine you think of God's presence in that one room. The curtain is blocking off the room from the rest of the temple, and actually the rest of the world, the, temp the, the curtain tears... God's presence is now unleashed. God's presence is now available to all. As the forgiveness comes through the Son, as the Father sent the Son to reconcile us to himself, as the Son submits and faithfully obeys, the presence of God is unleashed uh, for all people. And now, uh, Paul tells us that we, as those who follow Jesus, we are now his temple. Same language used. We are his temple. 1 Corinthians 6.19, your body is the temple, the place where God lives, of the Holy Spirit, who lives in you and was given to you by God. The presence of God is available to all of us. And you might think, well, what does it mean? What can, what can that mean? It, it, it means, it can mean that there's gifts of the Holy Spirit listed in, in the Bible. So I get some gifts. In his presence, there are presents. <laughs> Trademark, Johnny. Um, there are gifts that we can accept. Um, yeah, we get that they're brilliant part of the deal. There's fruits of the Spirit. You, I think there's been preaching on this recently. Uh, in, you preached on fruits of the Spirit recently, didn't you? Uh, fruits things that God grows in our lives as His presence comes close to us. We, goodness and love and joy and kindness, self-control, all that sort of stuff. Yeah, they're part of the deal too. But I wouldn't want to limit the presence of God to lists. Those things are really important. We cherish those things. But really, I think when I think of the presence of God, it's like the presence of a person. God is right by us. Some of us this week, we've, we've had a difficult week. We've been praying for a friend, a dear friend, who just this unspeakable thing. Well, how did that happen? How did he fall down in a, suddenly in a coma? He's 20, late 20s. I saw him on Friday, by Monday, I'm like, what's going on? 
What do you need at that time? Well, what we usually need is when we're going through suffering and sadness, we need a person to come alongside us and put their arm around us. Do you know what we get? We get God coming and doing that for us. Our side, the arm around us, holding us. Lots of questions, lots of confusion. Sometimes he doesn't answer things the way we want to. Some things are really unclear. We've got his presence with us. He sits with us. He's sitting with you now in your confusion, some of your sadness, your questions. He sits with us. He's with us. And as others of us, as we go out to love people, we go out to the work of God to serve God, he's with us. We can start knowing what it's like to work shoulder to shoulder with the one who made us, as we were created to do. His presence is... Let your mind boggle. The presence of God looks very different for different people. Um, and we do sometimes experience in a meeting now. We want heaven to come down in the meeting. But you know what? Never limit the presence of God to a meeting. The presence of God is for his people always, particularly when we're out in the world. His presence is with us. Secondly, his power is with us. Earlier I mentioned Samson. Again, any of you have been to Sunday school, you'll know the pictures of Samson. I mean, there was one here a while ago. He's knocking down walls, he's smashing stuff up, and he's sometimes being a right nuisance, really. But um, he's very strong. Uh, and you might think, well, there's the picture. What's the power of God look like for us through the Spirit? It's Samson. He was filled with the Spirit. Yeah, you can look at that as well. The, kind of not maybe the physical strength side, maybe more of a kind of helping us in our weakness generally. I think there's a better picture in the Bible of the power that is available to us through the Spirit, and it's a different person. It's Jesus. Again, the second person in the Trinity. Tell you what the power of the Spirit available to you looks like. It's, it looks like this. On Good Friday, Jesus was laid in the tomb. He was stone cold dead. He'd been beaten up to a pulp. He'd pushed to the limits of endurance. He'd been executed. He'd been pierced with a spear. Then he was stuck in a tomb, his lifeless body, with a massive stone in front of it, guarded by a whole troop of Roman soldiers. So that's Friday. On Sunday, the stone is no longer there. And this is the big stone we're talking about here. It's not a pebble. This is a big stone. Not impossible for, not possible for one of us to move this stone. The, the Roman guards, who were pretty well trained and quite tough, I would imagine, they scattered absolutely terrified. And Jesus was walking around, living, breathing, Kind of as you could tell it from the story, kind of walking through walls at some points, eating food, talking with his disciples, breathing out the Holy Spirit. What on earth kind of power would be needed to turn the Good Friday situation into the Easter Sunday situation? Don't know how you measure that in killer kilowatts. <laughs> um, but I tell you what, whatever that is, what kind of power that is, that is the power that is available to us through the Holy Spirit. This is what it says in um, uh, what it says in Romans 8:11. The Spirit of God, who raised Jesus from the dead, lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, He will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, living within you. Again, let's just marinate on that. That's a big deal. <laughs> That's a massive claim. Kind of layer on that. Let's see what Paul says elsewhere. Paul uh, says in Ephesians 1, this is how Paul prays for the Ephesians. He says, I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us. I pray that for you. I hope you do now. The incredible greatness of God's power for you who believe in him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead 
and seated him in the place of honour at God's right hand. Sorry, forgot about that bit from the Easter Sunday story. Not just alive, seated at the right hand of the Father. That's the same power that the Holy Spirit offers us. Let your mind boggle. I cannot tell you the extent of what that means for you. I can't tell you because there is very little extent of what that could mean for you as regards the limits of that. Basically, here's the question. Do you feel weak in any area at all today? Do you feel helpless in any situation that you're going through? Well, through the Spirit, you can tap into the same mighty power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. That's an offer to all of us. Those appetites being whetted yet? I hope so. I've got one more anyway. The Holy Spirit brings us God's uh, presence, his power, and his pleasure, too. Because some of you might be thinking this. You might think, yeah, look, okay, uh, I get it. I get Christians get the power of God. They get the presence of God. But, and I'm a Christian, but I can't quite connect it to me. It's likely to happen to everyone else. You might look around this room and see all these lovely people and think, look at them all. They shine with their spiritual maturity. But I know myself. Surely this couldn't be for me. Well, the Spirit actually doesn't just bring God's presence and power generally to Christians. No, he assures each of us in our hearts that this is for you. Because God's pleasure is in you and his love is on you. And he doesn't just want you to know that, he pours it out into your hearts. This is exactly what it says in Romans 5, 5. Paul again, he says, we know how dearly God loves us. Do you know how dearly God loves you? Do you know it? I can't. I know the facts. I know he died. I know he thinks I'm great. His favour. These words. I know those. Well, how do we know it though? How do we really know it? How do we know love? Because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love, to pour out his love into our hearts. This is another version. Again, you might be pushing back. Well, love—that's a very nebulous term. Like, does it mean he tolerates me? Does it mean I'm a, a valued member of his workforce? No, no, look what Paul says in Romans 8, we know what love is. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him our Father. For his spirit, the Holy Spirit, joins with our spirit to affirm, to convince, to assure us we're God's children. If you're a child, a Christian, God loves you. He is pleased with you. And don't get carried away. It's not because of anything to you did. He didn't look at the world and think, who are the good people? I'll bring them in my family. No, he's pleased with you because by some act of grace, you're adopted, you're in, you're a child of God. And these are encouraging words, I hope. And they're words we can kind of get our heads round. But through the Spirit, we can experience them. We can know them poured out into our heart, the love of God poured out into our heart. So what I want to ask is, do you want more of the Holy Spirit? I guess <laughs> He does, you can hear him going the whole time, can't you? <laughs> some of us are extroverts, some of us are introverts. God doesn't just hear the extroverts, he hears the introverts. So I'm ask you, you can reply in your heart, you don't need to say out loud, do you want more of the Spirit? I'll ask more than that, do you understand your deep need for the Holy Spirit? Do you really think that you can sacrificially love others like Jesus calls you to do on your own? Do you think you can uh, 
be faithful to your spouse for the rest of your life on your own? Do you think you can raise your children without messing them up on your own? Do you think you can stay faithful to Jesus until the end on your own? I don't think the chances are high on any of those, by the way. You need his spirit. 